The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1. We'll read to verse 9. We're continuing uh, in our series. It's called The Disciples' Path. Uh, we've taken eight weeks to take a serious look at what it means to follow Jesus faithfully. Now, we know that there are unique facets to every person's journey with Jesus because he makes all of us different, and that's to the praise of his glory and for the accomplishing of his eternal purposes. However, there are stretches of the path to following Jesus that every faithful disciple will need to walk. So thus far in this series, we've talked about salvation, water baptism, church membership, living in community, gathering as God's people, and serving. Now, I have been looking forward to this week because a recent poll indicated that this subject is the one that most people listed as their favorite subject to hear addressed during church gatherings. That subject is giving financially. Now, there was a poll. I just conducted the poll, and I was the sole participant in the poll, okay? That's why it's maybe a little bit skewed. Uh, I don't mind talking about it. I'm joking about it, but on a serious note, I realize, guys, that there's a lot of people who are uncomfortable with the church talking about money and giving, and some of that discomfort is understandable uh, with how many high-profile examples there are out there of people who claim to be Bible preachers and teachers, but instead they teach false doctrines to enrich themselves. This is not a new phenomenon. Uh, We were warned about it all through the New Testament. Uh, Just this week, unfortunately, I saw a major news organization uh, comparing the prices of the jets that three um, so-called prosperity preachers fly around in. Uh, I can't remember all the numbers. They were all over $30 million. I think the most expensive one was $54 million. Uh, And and I realized that things like that can definitely muddy the water when we talk about things like this. When we talk about giving, we talk about money. And I don't know if it's going to help put your mind at ease, but I'll just throw this out there. Uh, I drive a 2003 Toyota Tundra with a quarter million miles on it currently. And uh, when I fly for either missions work or gospel ministry, whatever, I pay for my ticket in coach. Uh, the church does not pay for that. Now, I will admit that I try to get the exit row that has more leg room. I don't know what that says about me, but I just want to be totally honest about that. I think it just means that I have long legs, but uh, I digress. So the, the reality is in this series, this series is about following Jesus faithfully. And Jesus taught about money more than he taught about heaven and hell combined. Okay. So this means that even though there have always been charlatans and hucksters trying to make a buck off of perverting the gospel for what Peter calls sordid gain, we can't ignore the reality that followers of Jesus have been set free from the love of money and that we're supposed to live like it. So we're going to read 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 through 9, and we're going to talk about how if we're going to follow Jesus as disciples... Uh, It's going to affect the way we steward resources, okay? I'm in 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 1. Here we go. 
Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but as a proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Praise God for his word. So we're going to go back through this and just, just work through it uh, verse by verse. We're going to let the Bible uh, teach us about this. We're going to let the Bible lead the conversation. Okay? So we go back to verse 1. It says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. We see here in this specific verse, but also throughout the New Testament, that giving money generously is a visible testament of the grace of God. I'm not sure how often we think about it that way, but that's clearly the way it's described here. It is, it is that in the same way that faith and love are gifts because of the grace of God. Paul's saying here, giving is like that. Just like faith and love, it, it's, a, it's a tangible way. It's a, it's a way to take something that can be kind of ethereal, bring it out into the real world and show. And he, he's going he's gonna to get back on that pony in a second. And so it'll make even more sense. Verses 2 and 3, what's he talking about? It says that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability... They gave of their own accord. Okay, so he's talking about the churches in Macedonia. Okay, so the northern part of Greece was called Macedonia. Corinth was in the southern part of Greece. So Paul is writing about the example he sees in the churches of Macedonia in the north. These churches were in cities like Philippi, um, Thessalonica, and Berea. And so the poverty of the Macedonians, why were they in such a bad shape? It had largely to do with the fact that they were savagely conquered by the Romans, partly because Macedonia was the former homeland of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was, is widely known to be the greatest military commander of all time. And 300 years before, Alexander the Great led, up to that point, the greatest military campaign in all of world history and had a territory larger than anybody else. And so the, when the Romans came and conquered, they subjugated and were even harsher to the Macedonians because that's where Alexander came from, basically kind of, you know, sticking it to them uh, and making sure they know that nobody else is going to rise up from there because, no, you know, now it's all for the glory of Rome. So that's part of why they had it so rough. Now, Paul says that these Macedonian churches, though they were struggling and they were mostly impoverished themselves, it says they gave generously. These churches were giving an offering. What's he, what's he doing here? They're giving an offering to the church in Jerusalem. He lets us know that earlier. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, the church in Jerusalem, and that church was struggling as well. Okay, so that's what he's doing. He's gathering funds to help these other saints in Jerusalem. So we see here that these churches in Macedonia, they were in the midst of great affliction. They were struggling with deep 
poverty, and yet they gave joyously and generously, even to the point that he describes it as beyond their ability. This is the grace of God Paul wants to make known to the Corinthians. Are you with me? He's writing to the Corinthians about how the Macedonians conducted themselves when it came to generosity. He's saying that not only is our giving as Christians enabled by the grace of God, but it also undeniably points to the grace of God. Now, if you're already irritated and upset thus far, all we're doing is reading scriptures and talking about it. So I haven't even given much commentary yet. These verses really are some of those verses you can just read and sit down. They do pretty good on their own if you pay attention, sticking it to you. Okay, so uh, I'm just going to help. I'm just going to turn, you know, turn the sword a little bit. Okay, verse 4. Let's read that again. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Ooh, this is amazing to hear, but it's also real convicting all at once. Here, Paul says the Macedonian churches begged for the privilege of giving support to the church in Jerusalem. This whole description, it flips what has sadly become the common paradigm right on its head. Because honestly, many church leaders today, they get put in a position of trying to beg people to give, trying to get real creative in how they take offerings and how they strum the emotional strings of people, right? You'll see many times churches uh, in this day and age, you'll see they got a different campaign every six months because common sociological research will tell them people aren't going to stay engaged with gospel mission over the long haul. That's, that's like too far out. So we got to come up with a different gimmick all the time to try to dress it up and box it up and package it up, and that way we can get people engaged again. So we'll, we'll just rename it, we'll rebrand it, and that's basically where a lot of people, and, and part of what's pushed that, you know, you can blame the church leaders for that, and to some degree I do, but also you kind of got to blame people for a lack of grace-filled generosity, right, that has, has caused church leaders to have to try to resort to figure out some way how to keep the lights on and do what they're doing. Uh, I think there's fault to be found in, in, on both sides there. But uh, these believers, instead of the, the leaders being in a position of trying to beg and manipulate and figure out some way to get them to open up their wallets, let all the dust and moths fly out, right, and give something, instead of them being in that position, he says the, the Macedonian Christians were begging the pastor, right? Listen to the language. With much urging. That's not like, hey, Pastor Paul, we'd like to, we'd like to give an offering. That, that's not the kind of language he's using. It's like, hey, we got to give you this, right? Much urging multiple times for, the, for what? To do what? The favor of participation in the support of not just the mission of God in their own local congregation, but also a congregation in another city. How, how are we feeling? The fa- they thought of it as the favor of participation, Pastor Paul, would, would you do us a favor? Would you give us an opportunity to give? Yeah, we're broke, but <laughs> we want to be a part of what God is doing in Jerusalem as well as what he's doing here. Wow. You get the idea that these people were so excited by the chance to give and so convinced that as followers of Jesus, they should be generous, that they were not going to take no for an answer. If this is the effect that the grace of God should have on our hearts in regards to giving, and I think that's the point Paul is making. Why is he telling the Corinthians about the Macedonians? He's saying, this 
is something that should be happening everywhere that Christ is being made known, right? If that's the effect, this really, it provides us an opportunity to really examine our attitudes on the subject. This gives us a mirror to look into. So the, the question I would pose to us today is, if, if we took the offering bucket away from up here on a Sunday and, and we didn't mention the opportunity to worship God with offerings, say for multiple weeks, the question is, would we, would we have a riot break out here with people begging and with much urging for the opportunity to give? I hope so. I hope people wouldn't think, oh, wow, sweet. <laughs> they took the guilt box away. Good. I don't have to look at it anymore. I hope somebody would challenge the leaderships here and say, hold on a second, man. I'm a Christian that's been bought by the blood of Christ. I need to have the opportunity to give towards gospel mission. Where's the box? Hold on, man. Put the slide back up so I can see the text to give number. You're messing, you're messing with me following Jesus faithfully here. I would hope someone would be a little upset. Now, some of you might be tempted to think, well, these people had to have just been brainwashed or, or ignorant or, or both. Something's going on here. That's the only way someone would beg to give money away. <laughs> but verse 5 and 6 gives us the real reason. They weren't brainwashed. They weren't ignorant. Verse 5 and 6 tells us the real reason these people pleaded with much urging for the favor of participation in giving generously. Let's read it. Verse 5 and 6. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that he had previously made a beginning so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. What is, what is said here? That they had given themselves to the Lord. They had given themselves to the Lord. They understood that because they belonged to Jesus, that had to change the whole way they thought about all of the resources that were in their control, whether that be time, talent, or treasure. They understood this meant an absolute revolutionary change to not only their thoughts, but the way they walked out their life. And that being a generous, an extravagantly, radically generous person in the mold of Christ was what it looks like to follow him. You know, um, there'll be reason in a little bit for me to mention the, uh, the widow's might, and, and you see you see stories like that, the woman that puts the two copper coins in and that's all she has. You see stories like this of the Macedonian Christians in, in the scriptures and there can be this time and space disconnect or it, it, sometimes you can feel like, yeah, but is that really, is that really how it went? Is that, does that, do I really think humans can think that way or act that way? And I, I just, I want you to know that by God's grace, I, I have seen this happen firsthand. Um... Many of you know this, some of you may not, so I'll just explain it. For the last seven and a half roughly years, uh, every Wednesday night, we have taken a team downtown. We take supplies. We just try to love, serve, pray for, feed folks that are homeless. Sometimes it's not homeless. There's one stop we got where a guy, he gets off work at UPS every week. He knows we're coming, pulls over, and brother just gets whatever we're having, stops and chats for a while. So we don't care. We're just, if somebody's hungry and they want to pray and hang out with us and hear about Jesus, we'll feed anybody. But the bottom line is primarily we're trying to serve folks that are stuck in addiction, folks that are homeless. And so we're doing that week in and week out. We, we build relationships. We've seen people. Uh, we're constantly trying to encourage them to take the next step, get to know them well enough to know, okay, what's the barrier to you 
taking the step here, right? Is it ID? What, what's the deal? Is it, what's the ch- plan for housing? Do you need rehab? So we're always trying to love folks, get to know them, and keep moving them towards Christ and moving them towards the next step that he would have for them. So we're doing that, and, and there's, I, could take you to the, I could take you to the spot that this happened. I know exactly where it was. It was at the corner of Maine and whatever that little duck-in street by the Justice Center is, right there at the courthouse. I could, I could point to the slab of concrete I was standing on because this impacted me so deeply. This guy walked up. It's not someone we've seen before. We didn't have any relationship with him. I don't know if he was just passing through Cincinnati or what the deal was because I saw him once. I only saw him that one time, never saw him again. He came up, he got a bowl of food, and he kind of just stood there. And he was eating slow, and I could tell he was thinking. And so I just walked up, introduced myself. Hey, I'm Vince. How you doing, man? You know? and, and he looks at me, and he says, <clears throat> why are you doing this? And we have a pretty common answer out there. So it was some form of, of this, that Jesus has been really good to us, and so it makes us want to be good to others. And so that's most of the time we'll, we'll answer some way like that because First of all, that's the truth. That's what, what's motivating us. But in a sneaky way, we're also jump, jump-starting the conversation to get to Jesus, right? So <laughs> a little trick there for you. Um, so that's, that's, what I, that's what I said to him. And uh, I don't know. I don't know why this mattered to him like it did. I don't know why it hit him like it did. Uh, but he reached into his pocket and turned it, you know, grabbed everything in it and turned it inside out so that, you know, the pocket's hanging out and flopping out into his hand was a dollar bill and 32 cents. And he looks at me and he says, I want to give this to help do what you're doing. And I, and you know, this is many, many times people have offered that. There was one guy one time, he was ripped on something, I don't know, slammed his car into park what are you guys doing? And I don't know where he was. I think he was heading to the casino to have some more of a good time, whatever. But he just got struck by what was happening, ran over to the ATM, and I, don't, I think he got like five bucks out. I don't know where he was at mentally. But I'm just saying, this, is not, this, is, this has happened many times, but this time w- there was something different because this, this brother took everything. This was all he had, emptied his pocket out into his hand, and I saw him do that. And I'm like, anytime someone tries to offer to pay for what we're doing, we, we don't want that to happen. We don't want that to communi- be communicated as what's happening. We're there to give, not take, right? We're there to give in the name of Christ, show the love of God. And so I'm telling you, aside from physically wrestling, this guy I did everything I could to try to say, listen, man, we don't, we don't need that. I appreciate it so much. Put that back in your pocket. It's okay. Until he started to cry. And he's like, listen to me, man. I need you to take this money. And I need you to use it to help with what you're doing. And I knew in that moment, by the help of the Holy Spirit, that I needed to take this dude's dollar thirty-two and use it to help do what we were doing. He begged me, pleaded with me. I think I, he might have fought me if I wouldn't have took that dollar thirty-two. And uh, I'm just telling. I, I, I don't know. I don't know all of what drove him to that. I don't know. But it wasn't until we talked about Jesus being in the mix of what we were doing uh, and, and something gripped his heart. And so I, I have seen this happen is all I'm saying. It, it can and, and does happen. And I think the point Paul is making is that it should happen a lot more. Verse 7. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. 
We cannot trivialize the gracious work of giving generously. Many times I don't think we would include gracious giving in, in a conversation about uh, the giftings that come from the grace of God. What does, he, what does he talk about here? Faith and utterance and knowledge and earnestness and love. We, we know all those. We hip, hip, hooray for all those. But I don't know if many times we understand that right next to those, according to Paul, stands this gift of being generous as a result of what Christ has done. This gift is it's, this manifestation of grace. It's listed here as a work and a gift of the Spirit. And it's no less important, is what he's saying, than the others. Operate in those, but don't neglect this one. That's what he's saying. Verse 8. We're going we're gonna to hit the second half of verse 8 first, okay? So he says, I'm not speaking this as a command. We're going to pick up at, but is proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Who has a different translation than NASB in their lap? Anybody that's not scared? Okay, read, what it's, read the second half of... Uh, uh, verse 8 to me, real loud. Yes, yeah, 2 Corinthians uh, 8, verse 8, second half. Yep. Yep. Okay, so almost, what, what translation is that? Okay. thought maybe it was the ESV the elect standard version, as they like to call it. Um, not really. <laughs> the NASB is the one Jesus uses. I just wanted to also see if anybody was using a different one. Um, just so we could talk to you after the service. I'll see you, bro. I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not like that. Um, KJV all the way. Just kidding. So the, the, the reason I had him do that is because this, it's kind of weird, right? This is one of the places where the NASB's literalism, is, it makes it a little bit difficult. But we're going to work through it. But is proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. So really, what he's saying when he says proving, he's saying testing. That's what he's meaning, proving. So he's saying we're testing the sincerity of your love through the earnestness of others. So really what he's saying here is I'm holding up this example of the Macedonian Christian's generosity, and that's, that's what we're going to use as a test. We're proving if your love is, is really what you say it is. Loving God and loving people is the summary of all that we are called to as his people. All the law, all the prophets hang on that. But Paul is saying here that generous, sacrificial giving out of the finances that God entrusts us to steward is one of the ways we know we aren't just saying that we love Jesus, but that we actually do. That's exactly what he's saying. Now, you don't have to like that. I'm just telling you what he's saying. Amen. Okay. I'd do it myself since none of you were about to. I even paused. I didn't grab my ear like the Pentecostal guys, you know, let you know, give you the cue. Maybe we'll put it up on the screens from now on. Amen. We'll flash it at you. Yeah, because you guys are not very good at catching the cues. So we'll keep working on it, though. I love you. I'm willing to work with you. It's okay. All right. So, so testing by what, right? Testing by the example of the Macedonians. Comparing them, all right? So I can already hear some of you. I can already hear the pushback. Well, I don't, I don't really like being compared to other people. I'm my own person. I think Paul missed it here. Why, is, why are the Corinthians being compared to the Macedonians? The Macedonians are in northern Greece. The Corinthians are in southern Greece. Is it a fair comparison? 
Is it even right to compare? Is it right to stack up somebody else's earnest faithfulness in generosity and judge myself against that or be judged against that? I don't know if I like that. Well, you might think that Paul missed it here. In Luke 21, Jesus had zero problem comparing people and their giving when he said that the widow who gave two copper coins worth almost nothing, you guys remember this? It's pretty well known. Go check it out later if you don't. Luke 21, little, little widow goes and throws in two copper coins. It's, it's the equivalent of, I mean, it's, it's a nothing number in terms of monetary value. He says that she gave more in God's economy in the way that Jesus sees it. She gave more than the rich people who gave a lot more in monetary value because it was no sacrifice for them to do so. That's the way Jesus saw it. She gave a little tiny bit of money. There were other people walking up, shaking their money bags. You could hear the gold coins clinking together, dropping it in, enjoying the fact that people were noticing they were giving a lot. But Jesus, having the special knowledge to know that that woman was giving everything she had, and how that compared to the lack of sacrifice by the, the rich that were giving, he said she gave more. So Jesus was very comfortable comparing Jesus was very comfortable in using that to teach his disciples, here's how God sees this. It's a heart issue. It's not so much what you give, it's how you give it. But how you give it's going to influence what you give. What's going on in your heart is going to help determine that. We still having fun? Okay, good. Now, let's go, to, let's go back to the first half of verse 8, Okay. We'll get happy again. I'm not speaking this as a command, he says. Not a command. So this is why here at Love City Church, we don't drill down hard on the idea of a tithe because it would be tragic if our giving was reduced to a legalistic or mechanical handing over of 10% of our income. That's not what we see the harmonious view of the New Testament is in how God desires for us to give. It's not that it's it's just, okay, we, we do the math, we get it down to the penny, we drop our 10% in, all right, we paid our God bill. We believe the Bible teaches that in light of the gospel, we should give regularly and sacrificially, which for many of us means that 10% is a floor and not a ceiling to our giving. So you got happy when I said, well, he said it's not a command, so that means we, we, can't, we can't be binding people with that language of tithe. You were like, yes, right, yeah. I don't see tithe in the New Testament either. And then I had to go and mess you up and make you realize that actually, uh, you know, in every place where you think that grace makes it easier to follow God, I mean, we are, we are Dinkelsteins sometimes. I mean, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, you've heard it said to love your neighbor, love your friends. I say you've got to love your enemies as well. You've heard it said don't commit adultery. I say don't even lust with your eyes. Because why? Because of grace. Because we have seen the full expression of God's redemptive intention in the world. We've seen Jesus, man. That doesn't relax the standards. Come on. That widow that came and gave everything she had, she hadn't even seen the full revelation of Jesus upon the cross, but three days later coming up out of the tomb. She didn't have the fullness of the gospel laid out before her, and yet look at the trust she had in God. Grace always requires more of us, but it changes the motivation. 
We don't come in this mechanical, just law-abiding way. We come out of deep gratitude and understanding that God is worthy of all that we have. Amen. So if you're out here wondering, hold on a second. Is he saying that we should give more than 10% of our income to furthering the work of the kingdom? Is that, am I getting that right? I am saying to you that many of us should. Many of us should. I'm saying that the Bible is clear that giving regularly and sacrificially is what is required of every single follower of Jesus. And yes, financially, where your treasure is, your heart is also. Yes, he's talking about money. Everyone say, Jesus is not afraid to talk about money. Let me hear you say that. Go ahead. That's good. That's right. He don't care that you're offended by it. He ain't worried about you. Isn't that awesome? That's great. I'm glad. All right. Many of us should give more than 10%, and, and I'm, I think many of us should, and that's based on what is it, it going to cost you, really? At what point are you going to feel it, and why am I saying that? Well, verse 9 tells us why many of us should give more than 10%. Let's read verse 9. I know you don't like it, but maybe you'll like it in a second. Here we go. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. See, friends, this whole sermon series is about following Jesus. And so we're talking about giving in the context of being a faithful disciple of Jesus. And if we're following Jesus' example, that's what informs the way that we give. Jesus gave until it hurt a whole lot. And so we should give at least until it hurts a little. That is where this ethic comes from. That is how the New Testament then goes to describe what it looks like for Christians to give. That's why we're called to sacrificial giving, because we're following in Jesus' example who gave everything. Jesus left the riches, the opulence of heaven, right? We get little glimpses of it in Revelation, man. Stuff that we pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for a little chip of it that we put into a ring, man. That's what stuff is just made of everywhere, right? He was the richest, but he became poor. Made himself, as Philippians 2 talks about, humble, took on the form of a bondservant, took on flesh. And he didn't just take on flesh. He didn't just walk among us. He didn't just give us a beautiful example of what it means to follow God, but then he went all the way to the cross and even death like a criminal. He took the punishment that all of us deserve because of our sin. His mission was surrounded around this idea of the fact that we had broke things and we could not fix it no matter what we did. And so he came and he fixed it. Jesus came and lived the perfect life we couldn't, we didn't. And then he died the death that all of us should have. His punishment should have been on us, but he took it instead. He gave us his righteousness, all that he had earned as a free gift. This is the way God set it up. I can't explain to you, and I don't think anybody really can, how it is God sees this as justice. You, humanity, you commit the sin that causes separation between us and God. You commit the sin that casts the world into darkness. You commit the sin that means you should be eternally separated from God forever. But God is going to step in, pay all that is necessary for that to be fixed. 
And then he's going to let you trust him by faith and be credited righteousness, that you're going to now be made righteous just because you trusted that God did everything necessary to fix the problem you caused. That of, the gospel is scandalous. That's why the Bible says it's foolishness to the unbelieving. It, it doesn't make sense. Where else? In, does it work like that at your job? Oh, uh, Jim's just going to do all my stuff this week, but I'm going to get the check. No. <laughs> That's not how it works. Here you do the crime, man. You, you do the time. Oh, oh, Sally over there is going to take my sentence. Is that cool? It doesn't work like that. That's, that's why the gospel, that's why without the help of the Holy Spirit, man, we can't preach the gospel with effectiveness and nobody can believe it. The Holy Spirit has to work upon our hearts and open our eyes to this beautiful truth, this truth of all truths, this good news that rises above all else, this good news of grace that should so radically change our perspective that we start to see giving as a privilege that we would clamor to participate in as opposed to something that we, we try to shimmy around and get out of as much as we can. It's because of the gospel, friends. Amen. Over the years, there has been example after tragic example of churches and church leaders who have misused or even stolen money that should have been used to propel the gospel forward. This is deplorable and it's inexcusable, but the fact that that has happened does not excuse us from giving sacrificially to the local church as the Macedonian believers did. There are many parachurch and nonprofit organizations that are also doing excellent and impactful work for the kingdom, and they are also worthy of our financial support. Uh, one that I appreciate very much that comes to mind when I think of these things is RZIM. That's Ravi Zacharias' ministry. If you're not familiar with Ravi, you need to get hip to him. Uh, he's like the C.S. Lewis of our day, one of the best apologists uh, still breathing, and I'm very thankful for his ministry. It's shaped much of the way I see the Bible and uh, the way I understand uh, evangelism and, and how to talk to people about Jesus. But one thing I really also appreciate about Ravi is that every single time he asks for support, if you listen to his podcast or anything that he puts out, every single time, I've never heard him ask for support without saying this first. He always says, your first responsibility is to your local church. Then, he says, if you have something over and above that, we can use that to send our missionaries, our evangelists, our apologists out to all the places we're sending them to preach the gospel, to contend for the truthfulness of the scriptures. And so you might be saying, okay, great, he says that. But why does he say that? Is there a biblical reason for him to say that? Is that a stretch? You're a pastor, right? Like, isn't that kind of self-serving? Not really. All I'm doing right here is trying to serve you with the word of God and tell you the truth. So why would, why would Ravi say that? Is he wrong? I don't think so. Let me read you 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 14. He says, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Why did I read you that? Because God has established the church as, what did he say? The pillar and support of the truth. And that truth centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let me read you something else. 
This is from David Watson. He's an Anglican priest, an evangelist from the mid-20th century. He says this, It is the church that is willing to die to worldly standards that will know the power of Christ's resurrection. It may be envied for its depths of loving relationships or for its spontaneous joy. It may be hated and persecuted for its revolutionary lifestyle, exposing the hollow values and destructive selfishness of the society it seeks to serve. But it certainly cannot be ignored. When God reigns among his people, they become a city set on a hill and cannot be hid. What does all that mean? Why did I read you all that? Let me boil this down just as plain as I can make it. The church is God's plan A for spreading the good news of the gospel and discipling those who receive it. And there is no plan B. Amen. Now, if you're especially feeling especially cantankerous today, you, you may be thinking right now, see, there it is. I knew it. I knew this sermon was just going to be about the church wanting my money. And here's what I would say to you. Here's all I can say to you. You, you can believe that if you want to. But the truth is that here at Love City, we believe what verse 5 teaches. Let me read it again. I know we already have, but let's do it one more time. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Here's what we believe. And, and here's why we're saying it to you. And here's why there's maybe less sugar sprinkled on this than you would have expected. Because as a preacher, I'm supposed to dance around this and tiptoe and be real careful and make sure I don't offend you. Especially when I talk about your money. But I just, I, just have, I just don't care that much because I know what the Bible teaches, which is that you don't really have no money. That God made you and sustains you and died for you and bought you with his blood. And so everything you have is his. So you ought to just get your attitude right. Amen. Here's the reality. Here's, here's what he's saying in verse 5. If you have given yourself to the Lord, then you will be passionate about giving sacrificially to the work of the kingdom. You'll be passionate about it. You'll think about it. You'll plan for it. Man, I, I can't get into it, but you go to Acts and you, you, talk, you watch Paul talk to the Ephesian elders as he's departing, and he talks about the way he lives, the way he works, and why he works. It's, his whole point is, he's, he's working with his hands for this, this, this purpose, so that I have a little bit of money, so that I can support myself on the mission, and so I can support those who are also with me on the mission of spreading the gospel. He's working for one per The only reason he's working is to fund gospel mission. Well, that sounds kind of extreme. Mm, I don't think so. I think it's just right. If you've given yourself to the Lord, then you'll be passionate about giving sacrificially to the work of the kingdom, established by God to be done through the church. Friends, here's what I want you to see. Sometimes it's hard to connect the dots, and so I just, I want to just, this isn't, this isn't by no way exhaustive at all, just think about this with me. Every time we feed a hungry person, you're part of that through giving. Every time we teach a child that God made them and loves them, you're a part of that through giving. Every time we baptize a new believer, you're a part of that through giving. Every time we're able to welcome someone into a, southern, a Sunday gathering to hear the gospel preached, you're a part of that when you give. Every time we meet the needs of a family that's struggling, you're a part of that when you give. Every time we have the resources to post audio of the word of God being taught 
online, you're a part of that through giving. You might think, well, does that matter? Well, I don't know. You tell me. When we check the analytics, man, there are people from all over the U.S. and all over the world that download the podcast. I don't know how they find it. I don't know if God leads them to it. I've had guys that were doing missions work in Russia using our podcast to teach students over there. I don't know how all that happens. God's really cool, though, and he's given us the ability through technology to send the gospel to the whole world. Every time we are able to do that, we've got a person to do that, and we've got the technology to do that. When you give, man, you're helping push that forward. That doesn't just happen out of nowhere. It has taken money from the time of Paul to push this gospel forward. But Jesus wasn't scared to send us and apparently was confident that we could get this done. That enough of us would see that we have been bought with a price, that we own nothing, and that part of our response to being set free from being slaves in the kingdom of darkness was that we would give generously. God's not worried about it. And I'm not either. None of this is about... Historically, it's unbelievable. Every time I preach about giving, the offerings lower. Ask Pastor Jordan. Every time. I don't know if you guys do it on purpose because you think it's funny. You like to cause me stress. I don't know. I, I can't figure it out. So I, I, no part of this do I think, oh man, I hope I hit a home run. I bet giving's going to go up. I already know what's going to happen. That's not the point, man. This has nothing, this is, I don't connect this to what you're doing with your giving individually and, and that I think somehow by saying something magical, I'm, I'm going to get our offerings to go up. I don't even think about it that way. This is bottom line. This is a stewardship and faithfulness issue. This is a discipleship issue. You and Jesus and your heart about this, it's got to be right. Has to be. There, this is not optional. This is part of following Jesus faithfully. What we've seen today is that generous giving is fueled by the grace of God, given to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we walk in this grace, we reflect to one another in the household of faith, but also to a watching world, just how real and precious and beautiful the grace of God really is. May we be a people who see giving the way God sees it, as a gift of grace and an evidence of grace. May we be a people who give joyously even when we are struggling to the glory of God. And may we be a people who are so passionate about God's redemptive work in the earth that we would beg for the chance to give so that it may be accomplished. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.